0: It is indeed by analogy that I believe the mind makes its richest movements, and it is by analogy that I believe the mind makes its deepest use of what it has understood. So wrote R.P. Blackmore in his book, The Lion and the Honeycomb. Don't ask why I was reading such a book. I mean, you know, even the subtitle that put most people to sleep, Solicitude and Critique, You know, when you're working on a doctorate degree, you read some esoteric books there. But you have also discovered that Jeremiah is a master at making analogies. The prophet's analogies um, help our minds and opens our minds deeply into the reality of God, God's wrath and God's love, God's judgment and mercy his law, and his gospel. Jeremiah, you've encountered several of his analogies already that we've talked about, You know, like the worthless good-for-nothing underwear in which he says that Jerusalem and Judah were going to be good for nothing because of the rebellion against God. We've encountered the good figs and the bad basket of figs where Jeremiah says the good figs are those people already in captivity in Babylon. The bad figs are the ones who still remain in Judah and Jerusalem, because even after two deportations, you still refuse to repent. And then there was the analogy that we'll catch later on, as well as him taking a clay jar and smashing it in front of the people, and saying that Judah and Jerusalem will be smashed, Because of their idolatry. (laughs) No wonder Jeremiah didn't have any friends, right? Because this is what he kept proclaiming. His nickname was Magor Misaviv, which means terror on every side. Well, today, Jeremiah draws another analogy. And his challenge in chapter 18 is how can he get the Judahites to realize that God is working in their lives and their history at this moment, at this time, maybe silently and invisibly, but surely and eternally. How can he get them to make the connection between Um, what is happening now in their lives and what they will be 10 years from now or 20 years from now? How can he help them see the continuity between what God did for Abraham and Moses and David and what God will do for them? How can he do this? By an analogy. And what is that analogy? The potter's house. So, Yahweh comes to Yerhemiah and says to him, Arise, and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So Jeremiah gets up, walks out of his house, down the street, through the alley, to the pottery barn. Jeremiah says, So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. The potter was at work in his house. He had taken a formless lump of clay and set it on the wheel. Then he began to spin the wheel, and with the use of his skillful fingers, he began shaping the pot. A little pressure here a little more there, pulling up the sides, and soon a vessel was rising up off the potter's wheel. A little more water to make it less tacky and more workable. A little thinner here so it doesn't crack in the kiln. At every stage, the potter initiates the moves to make the pot. The potter, from the start, knows what that pot is going to be, how he wants to turn out, even while it is just formless clay. He knows what it's going to be used for, how it's going to function. Every potter, from the start, knows the purpose that he's, for which he's making that pot. So what is pottery's purpose. Well, pottery is probably one of the most useful items in life, and it can be also one of the most beautiful items in life. I mean, the invention of pottery revolutionized civilization. Before there was the invention of pottery, uh, people were just in tribes following herds around from one food source to another food source, you know, forced from this place because of famine, pushed to this place because of drought. They didn't have any leisure time on their hands. There wasn't time to sit around and think. There wasn't time to invent things. It was a hand-to-mouth existence, day-to-day survival. But with the invention of pottery, now you could store things. Now you could carry things. Now you could settle down in a place because you could put your grain in a clay pot and store it to be used in the middle of winter for food. Now you could carry water. Now you could cook. Now you could transport merchandise. The invention of pottery sparked a, 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 a revolution in civilization. I mean, imagine our life if we didn't have storage containers? (laughs) I mean, what would we do? No pots and pans, no bowls and dishes, no barrels or cans, no cardboard boxes or paper bags, no grain silos or oil storage tanks. We would be reduced to whatever we could accomplish in a day and what we could carry in our hands. But but pottery, though, was an immense jump in civilization. It was very useful, but at the same time, pottery isn't just simply pottery. Every hand-thrown pot is also a work of art. Someone's technique was used on that pot. Pottery is at the same time useful and beautiful. No one uses a pot just because it's useful. It also has evidence of the artistic hand of the potter. In Jeremiah's day, no one took a pot and set it on a mantle to look at. It was both useful and beautiful at the same time. And you and I have a hard time grasping that concept because we just live in a different world. I mean, every day we separate the useful from the beautiful, you know, the necessary from the uh, artistic, the the elegant there. Um, You know, like um, plastic bags, (laughs) you know, we need to use them. But we don't think about their shape or their color or their design. As long as the plastic bag carries my groceries home or uh, I can put a sandwich in it to put in my lunch box or put some grapes in it for a snack, I'm good with that. But then we buy paintings to hang on our walls of our house. We build featureless office buildings and ugly factories to do the necessary work and then build museums to hold objects of beauty. In Jeremiah's day, there were no plastic bags, there were no museums, but there was pottery. Everywhere there was pottery. And there was no thought of separating the the useful from the beautiful, the essentially functional from the artistically elegant. Both of them were combined together. The pottery was both useful and beautiful. So, what's the prophet's point? Well, when he went to the potter's house, what did Jeremiah see? He saw an analogy. He saw the potter working at the wheel and goes, God is at work making us. He is the potter, we are the clay. God is making us both useful and beautiful. Every human is useful, every human is beautiful. It's what Moses called being made in the likeness and image of God. But there's a painful problem that he also saw. Jeremiah, in chapter 1, verse 5, if we remember back to then, talks about God forming us in the womb of our mother. The word he used for form is the Hebrew word yatsar. Jeremiah also uses that same word for the potter forming the clay, yatsar. God forms us. So you understand what that means, right? That means you were on the potter's wheel even before you were born. That means that Before you were born, God was shaping you and molding you. You're not just some random accumulation of cells. You were born, before you were born, you were made useful. Before you were born, you were made beautiful. But that painful problem, And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. Jeremiah knew what that was about. Jeremiah knew what spoiled vessels looked like. People who were blemished. People who had impurities because they resisted the shaping from God's hands. Jeremiah had other words for those people who resisted God's calling to be useful in his gift of beauty. He called it sin, rebellion, self-will, wandering. But when he saw the spoiled pot on the potter's wheel, Jeremiah kept watching. He wondered, what is this potter going to do with it? Is this potter going to kick the wheel and walk out of the room? Is he going to collect that clay and throw it at the cat and go to the market and buy a different brand of clay? Is he just going to ditch the whole thing and give up? No. He reworked it, the potter did, into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. What a beautiful picture of God's loving and enduring patience with his people. With us. I mean, we are blemished by our sin. We are spoiled by our rebellion. But God doesn't give up on us. God begins to work all over again. He takes the clay that is spoiled and Puts it on, puts water on it to make it more pliable, workable once again, removing the blemishes from us. And he starts all over again, reworking us into a vessel as the potter seems good to do. Why does he do that? Because of the everlasting covenant. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. You see, in the Old Testament, people just didn't simply make covenants. You know? um, they didn't just simply sign their name to a piece of paper. There were no lawyers there. But there was blood. In the Old Testament, people cut covenants sacrificed animals, slit throats of animals, poured out blood. It was a messy business. But God, our God, is not afraid to get his hands dirty. In Genesis 2-7, Moses writes that God formed Yatsar, there's that word again, Adam out of the dust of the earth. Our God is a hands-on God, an up-close and personal God for real. And on Good Friday, he didn't just get his hands dirty, he got his feet dirty, his face dirty, his arms and legs, his body and whole soul, dirty and defiled for you. Jesus became the dirtiest of all human beings, taking on the sin of everyone worshiping with us this morning, taking on the sin of everyone in the city of Wichita, taking on the sin of everyone in the world for all times. Jesus became dirty so that he could cleanse you, so that he could remove your blemishes, so that he could remake you into a good and useful vessel. And our response? Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. In 1902, Adelaide Pollard wanted to go to Africa to be a missionary, but she was unable to um, generate the funds necessary to make the journey to Africa. Greatly disappointed, she went to a prayer meeting at the local church there and as she was sitting in the pew praying, she heard an elderly woman behind her say, it doesn't matter what we do with us, Lord, have your own way with our lives. And when she heard that, it sparked the hymn that she wrote, have thine own way, Lord, Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make thee after thy will, while I am waiting, yielded and still. May that be our prayer as well.